another year older and not really any wiser. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the seventh anniversary episode of Hand of Pod. There's something going on with the um, connection in this microphone. It might be because we have an electrical storm. Uh, so I apologise if you hear me pause and wait for things. Um, I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined for this very special birthday edition by Andres Bruckner. Hello, Sam. Here to celebrate and talk a bit about Argentine football, so very happy. Indeed, and we almost get a sort of week off this week because we don't have to bother with Superliga stuff, so that's nice. Um, we are going to be bothering, however, with some other topics. We're going to go very quickly through the Copa Argentina semi-finals, which have been played since we last recorded, um, and then we are going to talk in more detail about Argentina's two international friendlies on Saturday and on Tuesday, yesterday as we record, because we're recording on Wednesday, and also... Um, a little bit about FIFA Gate and how the declarations on Tuesday and on Wednesday by Ale is it Alejandro? Yeah, yes. Alejandro Borsaco in New York, which a lot of you will probably have heard about on Twitter or in newspapers, um, affect things in Argentina because well, he's Argentine, and a lot of the people who he's been pointing the finger at it. Former former Torneos Competencias CEO. Yes, precisely. Uh, one of the people who's, who's in it up to their neck, as it were. Um, first of all, we're going to get the Copa Argentina out of the way. So if you're tuning in for the first time because you want to hear about FIFA Gate or because you want to hear about the Argentine national team, don't worry. We're going to brush over this quite quickly. There's not really an awful lot to say uh, because, Andres, I'm guessing that, like me, you didn't realise that the uh, Friday semi-final was taking place or possibly, unlike me, if you did, you didn't bother watching it anyway. Uh, yes, yes, I I, I uh, watched a bit of it, and of course the the Sunday uh, other semi final between River and Moran was more likely as a normal uh, football match schedule because it was on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, I watched a part of uh, the Atlético Tucumán qualifi- qualification to the to the final and River, of course. So yes, uh, it's uh, bad luck. It's like uh, it's on, on, on Rosario Central, definitely. Mm, indeed. They are probably the most consistent team in the Copa Argentina since it was reborn. They've been in, I think this would have made it four consecutive finals, wouldn't it? If they'd made if it. If they had uh, made it, yes. Um, uh, but they lost after a, well, they lost on penalties uh, after a nil nil draw, right? Yes, uh, uh, the, the goalkeeper that came into the, the, the match uh, replacing. Lucchetti Sanchez, I think is uh, the beer Sanchez, also Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Is uh, uh, he saved a penalty, one penalty during the 90 minutes, and then I think he saved two or three. I don't remember right now, but uh, he was the hero of Atlético Tucumán, uh, just because he's the he was the the, the, the uh, substitute of, of Lucchetti, and finally he he made it to 
for Atletico to come on to, to get through the, the, the final, so it was uh, just uh, uh, surprising. The app that I have on my phone is quite confusing at how it presents the penalty shootout results. This is why I had to ask you whether it was a nil-nil draw, because they actually mm. put the final score up as 3-1, and when I looked mm. at it on Friday night, it, it appeared to be a 3-3 draw followed by a 3-1 penalty shootout win. Um, and it took me a while to work out that wasn't the case. Uh, but yes, this goalkeeper, the Atletico Tucumán goalkeeper, who you have just mentioned, who is... It was Lucchetti, apparently, according to this. No, Lucchetti had to, to so, leave, and Sanchez was there. Oh, I see, Alejandro, he was subbed on during the game. Yes. Ah, right, OK. Uh, yeah, Alejandro Sanchez um, saved two penalties from Diego Rodriguez and Mauricio Martinez. And another one from uh, uh, San Pedro, no, San Pedro, no, Camacho, in the 90 minutes. Ah, Fantastic. So congratulations, Atletico Tucumán. Um, After their first ever um, appearance in continental competition earlier this year, they're going to have another one now. Because, well, I think they'd actually already... No, sorry, they're qualifying anyway. They're already qualified, uh, regardless of what happens in the Copa Argentina final for next year's Libertadores, because River Plate are already in next year's Libertadores anyway. Um, So congratulations, Atletico Tucumán. And in the other semi-final, as you say, Andres, it pretty much went as we were expecting it to go. River Plate were playing um, second division, Deportivo Moron, and they won 3-0. It was, I mean, there was a bit of controversy about the first goal, because really it was offside. And then the yes. second goal, the goal scorer... Uh, Maidana. It was Maidana, thank you, yeah. I, I'm tripping over my words because I, I was thinking, no, I must have been imagining this. Jonathan Maidana doesn't score goals from open play. Yes. Um, was offside in the build-up and then the phase change, and I can never quite remember. But anyway, Moron weren't happy, certainly, with the first goal. Yes. I think they were right there. But ultimately, it, it's a first-division side and one of the best teams in the country, beating a second-division side 3-0. There's not an awful lot to talk about there. Yes, one goal was enough for, for Moron to to uh, read off, to, to, sorry, to give up and, and uh, uh, know that they won't pass uh, and they, that the match... W- uh, was finished just when River scored that controversial goal. I think in the second one was more. Uh, it was it wasn't an offside because the when the ball comes to, I think it is De La Cruz. Mm. Uh, there were I think Maidana in offside and other players that are perhaps uh, in not the legal position but uh, not participating in the, in the play into the play. And then when when De La Cruz gets uh, put the cross into the small box, there is there are no. No offsides. No, exactly. Yeah, it, was, so. it was a very quick change of, of phase yes. of play, but that presumably is what happened. Yes. Um, and so, yeah. But the the first, the very first play in the in the in the match, the, the goal opportunity was for Moron with uh, Rengo Diaz, Rodrigo Diaz, um, and Lux, who has been criticised a lot because of the. Uh, well, goals that he because had because he's not very good. Basically, yes. he had received uh, on the first post, which is the one who the, the goalkeeper must care, and uh, he didn't care much about that. About um, well, in this case, he was good because the first play or the first goal opportunity was for them for Moron, and, and he saved it very well. So, uh, uh, as as. I think it was similar as, as the Atlanta match in quarterfinals, in which the the first 30 minutes or 40 minutes were were difficult for River and with the the, the other team, which was in, uh, 
Atlanta for, from Primera B Metropolitana, in this case Moroni, Nacional B, even when they were newly promote, promoted mm. team, uh, because he had, uh, he had been in Primera B Metropolitana since uh, June, or one year. Yes, he? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, it was similar in, 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 a, in the way that at, until the 40th minute, approximately, uh, the, the Atlanta, in, in that case, and Moroni, in this case, were uh, difficult to, to to overcome. So, uh, I think they were pretty similar. And well, after the first goal, like happened with Atlanta, in this case against Moron, uh, well, things were much easier, of course. Indeed, one team who did not find things easy over the weekend, and then just after the weekend, is the Argentine national team. They have just got back from, or well, they've just dispersed from. I won't say got back because not many of them have come back here to Argentina. Um, from a mini tour of Russia, which saw them help Russia to unveil the new look and newly expanded Luzhniki Stadium, which has been increased from 78,000 to 81,000 uh, seats for and the we'll World Cup. And will host the final. Uh, yes, and will host the final. Um, that match was a 1-0 win over Russia, and then on Tuesday they lost. They went 2-0 up, and they lost 4-2 um, in Krasnodar, I don't know what the name of the stadium is there, against Nigeria. Um, we're going to probably be talking more about that match than the other one, but first of all, I'm going to pause for a second and lower the blinds because it's just started to rain extremely hard outside and when I do this, uh, if, we, if I don't lower the blinds, we're going to end up with water coming into the living room in a second. So, just I, I'm going to edit this bit out now and it will sound to you listeners like nothing's happened at all. But... Uh, in real life, I'll be back in about 10 seconds' time. There we go. If you can hear the uh, rain in the background, then tough luck. You're just going to have to put up with it. I can't switch it off, unfortunately. I wish I could. Um, the Russia game. Argentina won it 1-0. The goal came from Sergio Aguero, um, who also scored on Tuesday against Nigeria. So let's start off with a positive from the tour as a whole, and certainly from that match. We can probably assume that Aguero is, is the first choice number nine now and that we're not going to see too much more of this nonsense of, um, of playing Dario Benedetto and pretending that he is the best Argentine centre-forward going. Um, and possibly as the new, perhaps, uh, fresh or new face that we could see, not as a, of course, main uh, a starting eleven player, but to consider it's Pavon, perhaps, as he... Assisted two times, twice to Aguero, just the the two goals that Aguero scored. Yeah, indeed, um, and it really was a, a a very quick impact that he made because on his debut when he came on f- um, for Eduardo Salvio, in the, he came on seventy eight minutes into the Russia game, and Aguero's goal, which as Andres says, Pavon set up, came eight minutes after that. So it's a promising start for him. You know, yes. we we have criticised him once or twice on this podcast for playing as if he's got a bucket on his head at times but in that position and in that role maybe that's what Argentina need when when all he's doing is is cutting past the man and then looking to find a centre forward with a low ball into the box normally um, which is crucial because Angel Di Maria often doesn't dis- differentiate too much in, in terms of the height that he's swinging the ball in at for um, in so fact, often I, not I, very tall centre forwards I imagine or at least my idea is uh, just uh, going ahead to the World Cup, that a good uh, alternative will be for Pavon and Di Maria to come to in the second half of uh, any any match, and 
have their their speed their, their velocity to uh, go go against uh, tired defenses because they they are they are of course they are fast they are they are um, perhaps best uh, qualities is the their their speed uh, and Di Maria in that case wouldn't be so risky to 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 have any any injuries as we know that in important matches and when he runs a lot he is had the risk to get injured as he, mm. it happened a lot of times for him so uh, it's of course my idea uh, 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 since well what I watched for from those matches and and well perhaps I will prefer um, Salvio in one side and Acuña in the other and perhaps to be replaced by Pavon and Di Maria eventually in the second half something like that I personally I'd drop Di Maria altogether now um, I, I think that uh, I didn't see much from him in the Russia game I was slightly baffled by the way because after the Russia game there was quite a lot of talk on Twitter and sort of people saying you know oh, this is uh, this was decent stuff from Argentina this this was it, it, it started to settle down and look more like we want and I just thought that they were quite I thought it was a really dull game I didn't think Argentina were bad but I just thought that this is, is not I don't know how you can draw many conclusions from it. Russia yes. didn't show very much at all. No, it was decent. Um, it was perhaps they had the, the that attacking uh, that they wanted to attack and and and, and went uh, just looking the the, the goal of, of Russia and something that is of course uh, that wants that that Sampoli wants is something that Sampoli tries to 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 transmit or to to to. Uh, say with the players that he puts in the in the, in the matches and that the, the the team goes ahead all the time and uh, yesterday against Nigeria that I think that that was a difficulty because yeah. uh, they went so ahead that than uh, Macherano Otamendi and uh, Petzela were very very uh, well they had no uh, no no back and they they were like uh, alone with Nigerian uh, strikers that we can say a lot about the defenders or the goalkeeper who made a, a, a very innocent mistake uh, before the first goal of, from Banega, but uh, they have good strikers and with uh, defense, three men defenses. We have been talking at here a lot. Uh, it's very risky with Mascherano. Well, it's something that we have mentioned a lot of times. Yeah, Mascherano is another who I, I think probably just shouldn't be playing for Argentina anymore. Um, but as ever, we come to the question of if he's not in the back line, if Herman Petzela just doesn't really seem to be good enough uh, for what Argentina need him to do, is not in the back line, who do you have in the back line? Because, yeah, you can switch to a back four, but it's only two centre-backs, and all we've got there after taking those two out is Nicolas Otamendi. Ezequiel Garay has said that um, his, uh, his body isn't up to the challenge of, of two matches a week for a whole season anymore and therefore he's told Jorge Sampaoli that he wants to take the international breaks as time to let his body recover he's having some fitness issues so he's essentially retired from international football uh, I think he's only 28 or 29 or something isn't he he's not like, yes. really old but um, he, he's, he's not an option which is a loss for Argentina and then beyond him you're looking at maybe Mamana um, Mamana, Facio, Musacchio yeah. um, yes I mean a, a bunch of guys who, who are not Bad, but again, they're not. They're not exactly Ashala, are they? No, but the, the problem is that we have a, a good, or, good or, or not. We have a, at least three centre backs to to replace 
Otamendi or, or Mascherano if, if, if you're not uh, satisfied but we have no right or left backs mm. uh, apart from of course Mercado and perhaps Bustos the independent kid who is a kid that's yeah. the problem because he's good He's that, that's part of the problem, and then also he keeps getting injured, just as Jorge Sampaoli wants to call yes. him up. I, there's a bit of me that wonders, right? Because I was I was talking about this with uh, a few of my followers on Twitter after the Nigeria game, who were saying, you know, the back three doesn't make any sense. And I was like, I mean, I don't know whether it's the back three that's the problem or the complete lack of pace from any of those defenders, and combined with the high press, meaning that in the second half um, against Nigeria particularly for the first 20 minutes. You saw the midfield and the forward line just disappear off up into the Nigeria half. And Nigeria had all the space in the world to run at the Argentine mm. defenders, who were literally, as you've said, just those three plus Marcusin in goal. Um, I do wonder, there is a bit of me that wonders whether he would have tried out a back four by now with Argentina if it weren't for the fact that in both of the last two, you know, the last uh, doubleheader for, yes, the, for qualifying and for this friendly doubleheader, Bustos has happened to pick up a niggling little injury that stops him actually being able to go um, and, and, and be with the squad uh, just, uh, you know, because as you say there isn't really anybody especially with, with Gabriel Mercado either, what, has he fallen out of favour is he not fit um, yes. but you know, w- without him uh, in the squad there's nobody really who can play it right back So then uh, yesterday he finally decided to include for example Emiliano Insua who is a, a left back or at least I, I remember him as a left back but he uh, replaced Pezzella mm. so uh, yes it's I, I, it's like he was decided to to stick or stick with this and and, and, and well uh, we hope or I hope that he learns from these lessons that are these matches uh, and because it's something that could uh, easily happen in the World Cup um, and uh, uh, to perhaps try to to test with players like him, like Insua or, well, Tagliafico was in the tour against Singapore, yeah. the first matches of Sampoli and never again. Uh, so that's something that I, I, I don't understand very much uh, because it's, I think the, the, the back is the most, uh, uh, the part in which I, I, I think or I see that there are more difficulties. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pleased with what I've seen from the midfield since Sampaoli has come in. I think that there's there's been a an improvement in the midfield and the forward line and that he's probably getting towards what he wants there. But what they need to be able to do is to be able to keep that improvement, to keep that, that decent movement and the togetherness that they're starting to, to get a grip on whilst having one body fewer there so that he can move one of them back into and, and make a back four. Um and, but again, even then, he, what's also going to need to happen is that he's going to need to abandon the high press. You can't do it with Chile, with Sevilla. He was able to with Universidad de Chile. He was able to not because of a back four, but because at least one of the players in that back four actually had some pace and was able to get back and cover if they got caught out on the counter attack. Um, and when you're playing with, you know, it, it, and this is the other crucial thing: it, you can talk about Mamana, you can talk about Facio whoever else, uh, even Garay, if he's fit, it, it's easy to say, well, yeah, but you know, if, if you, you can replace these players, but you're still replacing them with players who, even if they are of exactly the same quality, um, they're not as, they're still not pacey. They're, they're still not going to be, be able yes. to outrun. But he had better better defense. So. It's, it's, uh, I think it's 
nothing new where I won't I, I will I will say that Chile has better defenders that Argentina has right mm. now with uh, Isla Medel um, Jara and Mena as I four perhaps but in this case he could well if Mercado is not fit that will be that will be a problem but Mercado Otamendi Funes Mori if he were if he was fit of course he's not and Rojo yeah. he, of, of course he was also injured and he, I think he will be, be back right but now suppo supposedly Sampaoli wasn't going to call Rojo up I remember when Sampaoli was appointed just which was just Tagrafico, as Rojo got his injury they I mean saying, well, yeah, Insua, and... Insua, he called Insua right now only only now in this friendly yeah. and he played 15 minutes and yeah. I don't think I don't uh, see the point of calling up a player it's like he fills a space and nothing else yeah Uh, on the other hand, one player who did get a chance to impress was uh, Giovanni Lo Celso, um, who was called up for, I think, the first time by Sampaoli, and who played not all of both matches, but most of both matches. I think he played all of the first one, right? He was on the pitch for the whole 90 minutes against Russia. Just let me check. Uh, I've got all the subs marked here. Oh, no, sorry. He was on the pitch for the first hour against Russia. And then for the... Where's the substitution listed here on the website? We're doing this on two different screens, so it's going to get a bit confusing. Um, oh, yeah, for the first hour in both games, in fact. 59 minutes, the substitution in the Russia game. 58 minutes, the substitution in the Nigeria game. Um, it would have been nice to see more from him. Having said that, I've no idea how regularly he's playing for PSG. Um, I thought against Russia he, he looked... Okay, and against Nigeria, like a lot of his teammates, okay in the first half and rather disappointing yes, in the second. Like the, like a, a continuous, it's the problem. They 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 try to uh, get more uh, more minutes and more time. And well, there is no time right now because uh, until March there is no more more matches. Mm. Uh, so it's a long time. And well, he can play along with Pastore perhaps at PSG. I don't think. They can play both at the same time, but they are the same team. So I, I think that if Pastore is in the pitch, the Chelsea will be in the bench. On, yeah. on the other hand, or the other or the other way, but uh, they are they are both at PSG. So yeah, indeed, and and they're both. I mean, at least the the role that Lochelso was expected to fill was this kind of box to box midfielder rather than the the playmaker that he was at Rosario Central. And as I'm yeah. guessing, therefore. PSG have plans for him to be in the long run, um, and and I think that's you know that you have to consider that as well when saying I was a little disappointed by him. He could have done a bit more. You know, he's playing in an unfamiliar role. And um, I, I, no, I, no. I thought was very quiet indeed against Russia. Uh, everybody who's a regular listener knows that we're both big fans of Kranavita from his time at Rebet. Um But yeah, I, I wasn't convinced by him in, against Russia. It's it, he needs to to step things up a bit, which is a bit weird. I mean, you know, he's familiar with the environment. He's playing for Zenit now. Yes. Um, he's playing, I think, semi regularly for Zenit. I've had a look at his appearances so far this season, but he's had a few at least. Um, and yeah, I, th I thought it was the right decision really to to move um, uh, to to move Enzo Perez into the middle of midfield for the Nigeria game yes. and, and have him as the fulcrum, if you like. Even though it turned out to actually be. Not a particularly good uh, 
decision yes. from, from the results point of view. Um, but I think that the problem there with uh, Lachilso is that he uh, used uh, or he was at the role that perhaps Banega used to used to be, and now Banega was like a number five, classic number five, and and I heard a lot of people saying that he's not uh, a number five. He's mm. more. He has more the 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 or. Uh, perhaps he's better doing the the things similar to Lochelso, not as an enganche, but as a, 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 a midfielder that is more ahead of the uh, of the midfield of the of the center. I mean, yeah, of the circle uh, of the. So yes, I think he will have that ju- just somebody will have that just those little things in the midfield and big things in the in the in the back, and he find found some solutions. I think in the attack, with well, you know, Pavon is not a. You now we we can't say Pavon. Yeah, Pavon might might has to be in the first match of the World Cup because uh, something very, uh, I think, uh, will be a bit like in a hurry to say this, but he's he's someone to take into account. Yeah, definitely. Um, particularly if he keeps up his current form. One other thing that we got a glimpse of against Nigeria was life after Lionel Messi, life without Lionel Messi. We've been saying for a little while, since in fact the first two abortive attempts to pair Paolo Dybala and Lionel Messi by Sampaoli, that um, Dybala's comments about how difficult it was to play alongside Messi for him because they're similar kinds of players and he tries to make the same runs and so he had to bear in mind what Messi needed to do. Um hadn't done him any favours perhaps but also were you know an honest assessment of things and it was pretty obvious that Sampaoli for his own reasons took broadly the same conclusion and decided to treat Dybala as a backup for Messi if Messi gets injured if Messi gets sent off uh, and we need somebody to, to step into his shoes then we've got Paolo on the bench seemed to be what Sampaoli was thinking and so Dybala has been in all the squads since but he hasn't played um Again, I've had this conversation with many people on Twitter over the last two or three months, uh, and they all insist that he has to have more chances to play alongside Messi. I think it, you know he tried it out a couple of times; it wasn't working. And Dybala is a, as as replacements for Messi go. Dybala is operating on as high a level as anybody. And yeah, maybe it's a good idea to. You know, it's, it's hard luck for Dybala. He put a lot of pressure himself because now he has to demonstrate when Messi is mm. not there, and he will say. Oh, I now I have to play like Messi, because Messi is not here. Precisely, he's not playing, and he didn't. He and didn't work against Nigeria. Um, Messi was was given the day off. He he flew back to Barcelona after the um, after the Russia match. I guess he needs to rest at some point. You can't play him in every single game all the time, especially when maybe it's a good idea to have a look at a, a system without him just once or twice. You know, if Sampaoli can get the team working together without Messi, then perhaps putting Messi back into that team and saying, you know, he he's the 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 cherry on the cake, as it were. You know, maybe maybe that'll get people to operate uh, better around him. And what Dybala did was, I mean, there was a, a really really nice through ball for Christian Pavon to yes. to set up Aguero's opener um, against thing. Nigeria, yes. and that was really, as you say, the only thing that that showed up. Sorry, it wasn't Aguero's opener; it was the second goal, wasn't it? Because the opener was from um, Banega's free kick. Um, but that was the only thing that that really happened. There were a couple of other sort of nice touches, but otherwise. Very quiet game. 
um, and didn't do an awful lot. So the conclusions that we've got in the attack are that Aguero has to be the the, the main number nine, unless Higuain's going to get another you know a chance in the March friendlies. One would assume that Aguero now has, has nailed down the number nine spot. Oh, another thing that I forgot to mention um, is that Agustin Marquesin played in goal. In fact, we've, we've mentioned this in passing against Nigeria, uh, not Sergio Romero. The reason, apparently, for this is that um, Romero is obviously the number one. Uh, Nahuel Guzman is uh, Sampaoli's number two goalkeeper, and Sampaoli wanted to make the decision between Marquesin, or perhaps still wants to make the decision, but I suspect that after Tuesday the decision's been made for him, um, between Marquesina and Jeronimo Rulli as the third-choice goalkeeper for the World Cup squad, because obviously World Cup squads all have to have three goalkeepers in them, um, in case you're not aware. Yes. He's not allowed to just you make say two that keepers. He said it after this, he said it to, for Rulli to be... I'd be quite surprised, because you know we can criticise the defence a lot, we can, we can say, well, the system didn't work with everybody pushing forward. I suspect that Argentina would probably still have won the game if Romero had been in goal. I'm not saying they would have deserved to. I'm not saying, oh, Sampaoli was really unlucky because if he peeled his first choice, you know, he, just, he wanted to... But uh, if we're going to criticise the outfield players and if we're going to criticise the system, we should also criticise Mark Gassin because for the the first Nigeria goal in particular, which was from uh, Kirechi Iheanacho from a free kick, he was bizarrely positioned. I mean, he was about two yards away from his left-hand side post for a free kick that was on, you know, in, on, on the other yes. side of the penalty box um, and not particularly, you know, it wasn't as if he was expecting a cross. It was pretty obvious that Ian Atchell was going to shoot. It was, it was perfect uh, shooting territory and Ian Atchell stuck it in the corner. That's why he, he uh, reached the ball, but he yeah. couldn't handle it. Yeah, I, I got a tweet from somebody yesterday saying that somebody or other uh, famous had, had come up with a good rule of thumb, which is that if the goalkeeper gets gets a hand to it but doesn't keep it out and that's a pretty good indicator that they should have saved it uh, I don't know whether I'm, I'm sure you know as with any rule you, you'll be able to find examples where you know that's not the case and there'll be the exception that proves it but for this case at least anyway was, um, more, more important than the balls he can save or or equally important I think is the security he brings to the, to the defenders mm. and the, the way he communicates and, and how his position uh, and his bad, badly positioned, yeah. well, uh, yes, that is an indicator, of course, like you say, that uh, that he there is something wrong there. Precisely, and, and it seems, you know, the particularly strange thing is, is that Banega's free kick came from, as, as you say, Daniel um, Akpei, the Nigeria goalkeeper, who I understand is, is quite young and was given one of his first call-ups, if not his first call-up, overall for this friendly. Um and you know, perhaps wasn't thinking entirely straight, but basically had, had sort of was standing around and with the, with the ball at his feet, getting ready to kick it long. And Aguero started to close him down. That play just bent over and picked the ball up about two yards outside this penalty box, um, and that was how the free kick got given away. It seems bizarre that in a match which had that error, um, by the end of the game, most of the criticism was for the other goalkeeper. Uh, you know, pointing out, you know, Marcusine was awfully positioned for the free kick. He should have done better on the. I can't remember if it was the second or the third or the fourth goal because they were all very, very similar. But uh, on at least one of them, he arguably could have got to the shot or, or closed it down better. Um, and yeah, I suspect therefore that Jeronimo Rulli is, is going to be the third choice goalkeeper um, at the World Cup unless Sampaoli calls him up next time and he starts a game and concedes. Maybe he'll concede five. Who knows? I doubt it, but maybe he will. 
I think that what this shows also is that, uh, of course, it's not all. Uh, is uh, Sampoli has hasn't uh, it's n it's not to blame one hundred percent to blame, but the changes are coming too late. Mm. Uh, the faces or well or the system because Chile played with the system that uh, I th the players learned and they were used to. In this case, there is no time to work the system and the players that now. In Suba, well, Pavon worked in uh, part, partly worked uh, worked in attack, but he didn't work when uh, I don't know whether Sampoli. I think Sampoli might have asked him to go back and try to defend also. Hmm. Uh, in that part, he wasn't good, and it's, it's obvious that he won't be good because uh, he's an attacking player, not in a defending one. It's obvious, and uh, uh, these things are are coming too late because uh, now you are se seven months away to the to World Cup friendly is away from it or free I don't know um, so changes are coming too late yeah um, and the other thing particularly strange against the Nigeria is that I remember San Paulo's Chile being able to you know he, he would make substitutions and he would change the formation in the middle of the game and it was sort of a, it was if he was clicking his fingers and the players would shift from from a 3-3-1-3 to a 4-4-2 or or to a four-three-two-one or whatever, you know, and he would do it. I remember one friendly. I think it was against Brazil, a friendly maybe in. I don't want to say in where it might have been a World Cup qualifier, in, in which there were sort of two of these changes in just the second half. Um, obviously, he doesn't have Argentina that well drilled at the moment either, because he's not had them for anywhere near as long. But none of the changes, apart from possibly the very end one, the um, Petzela going off to be replaced by Emiliano Insua with ten minutes to go. None of them really changed the formation. None of them changed the system that much. And even in Sua's introduction, it was a defender for a defender. Yeah, sure, it's a full-back for a centre-back. But when you're playing a back three anyway, it just means that in Sua was, was bombing up the pitch from time to time and you, were only got, you only had two defenders. Um, so that's a bit strange, and maybe that's something that he, he still wants to work on. Um, and the other one, one of the substitution that... I, I'd completely forgotten that this guy was actually in the squad, actually. Fernando Belushi, oh, coming yes. off for Paolo Dybala. Which, I mean, you thought, yeah, okay, Dybala's not having a good game. He deserves to be subbed. You, you can't put Messi on because Messi's not there. But that was when I thought, hang on, the, the third choice number 10 is Fernando Bellucci. Like, he's a good player. We enjoy watching him in the Argentine League. But he's 34 years old. And yes. surely, I mean... And, and he won't play as a number, number 10 even Pastore. when... He won't play as an enganche even when he's replacing an enganche, of no, course. indeed. Uh, it, it it just seemed very sort of like really that's that's all you've got. It was I mean surely I mean, we, we we've spoken about how Argentina doesn't exactly have a surfeit of these midfielders, but I mean God if you're gonna yes. if you're gonna include Bellucci but not call up Lancini for instance, then I'm not sure what um yes. what what the thinking is exactly or how clear the thinking is. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously there are what we now know, mid-November, so we've got December, January, February, four months until the next um, friendlies, and Sao Paulo is going to have a lot of time to look at players in, well, in Europe. He's only got a few weeks, really, to look at players in Argentina because we're going to have the summer break before long, and that's going to be a month and a half, and um, they're taking weeks off whenever they can anyway because they're trying to disguise the fact that we have a six-month uh, championship squeezed into a ten-month-long season. Um but uh, yeah, at least the European players is not going to have much of an excuse, especially Lancini, because Lancini's in England, and we don't even stop for Christmas yes. and New Year. Where, where I was surprised, it's, and I, I'm serious about it, is uh, that I, 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 I not surprised, but I 
Won't you have a called up any of the news players being the finalist of the Copa Libertadores? Well, he called up Lautaro Acosta and perhaps mm. he didn't, uh, he wasn't that good perhaps. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, well, Silva is a Uruguayan. But uh, perhaps, uh, yeah, Ansan has 36 years old and the... Uh, I'm, I'm going to make myself stupid if the answer to this is no. But Marcon- Marcelo Marcon- Luis Gomez is Argentine, isn't he? Well, I, I forgot, yes, he's Argentine. He's Argentine. I so forgot him, him, yes. Ivan Marconi, who I, rem- I seem to remember saying to Peter at one point last year, I can't remember whether it was on the podcast or whether it was when we were meeting up for a pint in San Telmo, um, but I said to him that I, that I thought Marconi deserved a call-up, and in the next call-up, Bowser gave Marconi a call-up. Um, I think he would be an excellent option at number five. I don't know whether he'd necessarily be the first yes. choice, but he's yeah, the well, kind when of... When I mentioned the... the few right backs I forgot him mm. uh, previously so as, as did I so it's not just it's not just us because apparently San Paoli has done as well um, but yeah there are other names to be looked at yes. clearly and you're, you're quite right yeah I mean Lanús are, are a club that that he might want to be taking a look at rather than just River and Boca and then the odd player from elsewhere Bustos who keeps being frustrated and Bellucci in this case who unfortunately wasn't frustrated in his attempts to play for Argentina because he actually featured um, again nothing against Bellucci he's, he's a perfectly good player at this level I'm just not convinced that he should be playing for Argentina as even their third choice number 10 um, and that's all there is to it for me uh, so in summary Argentina slowly improving going forward really not improving at all at the back um, and, he, and, and not enough of a step forward since San Paolo took over six months ago. We could we could say that uh, Argentina get, uh, uh, did one step further and one and a half back, perhaps uh, because of course against Nigeria it was uh, what what uh, the the performance against Russia was of, of course forgotten by the. Hmm. Uh, after the, the Nigeria, but the performance it, against Russia also just wasn't that good. Either. As I said, R- Russia didn't offer very. Then much. Russia scored three against Spain. Goal. It's not they are true. not good. They are not good. Yeah, no, course, that's that's true. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a tricky one. And and also, uh, what was I going to say as well? Because like, I had another, I had one more point I wanted to make, oh. and I've forgotten it. It came into my head while you were talking, and and I've forgotten it now. I went down to the end of my first fennet. This is very embarrassing. I'm only 33 <laughs> years old and I'm already going senile. Uh, we're going to play some music. I'm going to refill my glass because this clearly isn't doing me any harm at all. And if I remember what I was going to say, I will say it after this music. And if I don't, then we will start to talk anyway about FIFA Gate. Um, and we will also answer some listeners' questions. So don't go anywhere. Okay, we possibly like quite a lot of you have not paid um, oh by the way sorry the, the thing that I wanted to say uh, was the other positive from those two Argentina friendlies is that at least they didn't matter at least 
they were friendlies. Um, yes. You know, if you do this, you make the mistakes that Argentina made on Tuesday at the World Cup, then they'll be eliminated. And Sampoli, uh, before before the, the, the these friendlies were played, Sampoli said that he really was afraid of not qualifying to the World Cup. So these friendlies might have been also, like for Sampoli, like a relief, like saying, yeah. well, at least, yes, I will play the World Cup after these friendlies. Indeed, yeah. Um, some people who won't be pay, playing a World Cup, or, or at least will have to watch it from behind bars, are certain FIFA and CONMEBOL executives, because on Tuesday, um, Alejandro Borsaco of Torneos started to give evidence in, I think, New York. I'm assuming yes. New York, actually. Yes. Uh, yeah, because it was the New York State attorney who, who prosecuted them, wasn't it? Um, in his trial, it looked... Right from the beginning, when the raids started happening in Zurich um, and the rest warrants started going out for various Conmebol and CONCACAF officials, when FIFA Gate exploded, which was, what, a year and a half ago? Somewhere around this? Just just after the 2015 Copa America? Yes. Maybe? Could be, yes. Um, at any rate, whatever it was, I can't remember now, it, it always looked to those of us who were familiar with the names being discussed, who were familiar with the names on the arrest warrants, uh, i.e. two people who followed North and South American football, um, as if Borsaco would be one of the key witnesses. I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, as, as somebody who was sort of had one foot in this world and another foot outside it, he was always going to be the most likely to, to turn on people. Although, having said that, the whole thing kicked off after Chuck Blazer started turning on people that seemed like a canary. So, you know, maybe FIFA officials would have would have testified against each other anyway. Um, but my point is that Bursaco always looked likely to, to give the juiciest evidence, in my opinion, and he started giving it, and it is pretty juicy. It's not anything that particularly surprises um, myself. I'm guessing, Andres, that it's not surprised no. you either, a lot of the things he said, about, you know, it turns out that actually Julio Grandona is... is was quite a horrible man. Um, he has $15 million in a Swiss bank account. This is stuff that we already had an idea about. Uh, there was a, a, a hidden camera sting shortly before Grandona's last election as AFA president, um, which uh, revealed something like $6 million in a Swiss bank account with somebody else's name on it. Um, and so none of this is, is especially surprising, but it's interesting to have it confirmed by somebody who was paying these bribes um, it has already had one uh, tragic outcome because as uh, you've very possibly already heard on Tuesday night after uh, Sacco's first day of testimony uh, Jorge Delon um, committed suicide Delon, uh, we've just been reading a bit about him during the break uh, because he uh, was one of the officials at Football Para Todos he is said to have not really taken any um, decisions, any important decisions regarding the running of Football Para Todos um, but he, he was one of the people who received bribes, he received a bribe along with the head of Football Para Todos Pablo Paladino of $4 million, the report that I've got here in Clarín and the report that Andres was reading on his phone which I think was the Infobuy report yes. didn't make very clear whether that was $4 million between the two of them or $4 million each but either way it's quite a lot of money especially when you bear in mind that when he um, when Football Paradotos was dissolved and Dillon left his job, he had a declared total value of under $1 million. So either he was lying 
or he managed to lose an awful lot of money. He was declaring a fiscal deficit. Or he had to repay that bribes to anyone. Yes, or possibly that. Yeah, maybe it's protection money. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, when when he left, in fact, sorry, it's under a million pesos. It's not under a million dollars. Um, when when he left um, public office, because football power dollars is, is is public office for the benefit of new viewers and new listeners. Ha! I'm getting ahead of myself here. We're not a television show just yet. That's going to take another seven years at least. Um, but for the benefit of new listeners, uh, football para todos, football for all was a government program and actually this explanation is, is going to come back to something that Borsako said yesterday um, as well is is a government program or was a government program which took um, the broadcast of the Argentine Primera División as it was then the Superliga as it's now been rebranded um, into public hands from TC Sports or Torneos y Competencias production at, um, or Clarín Group yes. Clarín Group exactly the people who Borsako was working for. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the, the, the fact that... so Sorry, I should clarify as well that Torneos were continuing to do the production work on the TV Pública and, and the other um, channels, uh, Football Paratodos broadcasts, and this is presumably why Borsako was talking to these people about this. Um, the other interesting thing, therefore, is that supposedly Julio Grondona's um, own justification for tearing up the contract with uh, Teise and, and entering into the Football Paratodos agreement with the government was that he didn't actually have a written contract. He just had a word of mouth agreement or something like this is what Borsako said yesterday uh, Grandona had given his word and they had an understanding which involved quite a lot of bribes the whole time from sort of the mid 90s onwards while, while the thing was in Teise's um, jurisdiction and so that was what gave Grandona in Grandona's opinion the right to say yeah we're going to break this contract and, and go to the government now whether that's true or not is, is another matter but the fact that Grandona was apparently happy to look at things that way tells you a lot about the man, I feel. You know, it, it, it's wrong to speak ill of the dead. As we said, in fact, in our episode during the um, just after the 2014 World Cup, after Grandona died, but in Julio Grandona's case, it's justifiable to speak ill of the dead because it's very difficult to say anything nice about the guy. Um, the only thing I will say is that I, there's, a, there's a, a part of me that wishes he was still alive now because he would be in a lot of trouble. I mean, it, it would be glorious to see a getting on for 90-year-old Julio Grandona have to spend the last years of his life in a, an American jail. I've yes. that. Genuinely. And I don't even feel bad about saying it. Um, Delon uh, committed suicide last night after these accusations um, or sworn statements, testimony by Borsaco. Um, there's not much to sort of to say about him. Not because he's not an interesting person, but because if he is, we don't know it because he was very much one of these behind the scenes people but an awful lot of the other people who have been named Julio Grandona died a few years died as I say shortly after the 2014 World Cup a lot of the others are still around ex-Conmebol presidents ex-Conmebol vice presidents uh, heads of the football associations of various Latin American um, countries is it fair to say that in this case it is more perhaps something more concrete because uh, this man was accused and after that immediately he committed suicide. Uh, it's like something that you can't stand. So you could say that perhaps it's it's, it's true because uh, if not you you don't commit suicide. 
Arnold. I don't. I know if he's. I, I my would. Dad, I would resist uh, that kind of interpretation. Um, I think that people are complicated and people react to, to things in very different ways. It's perfectly possible. Okay, first of all, I, I strongly suspect that what Bodsako has said about the, in these yes, things is true. Yes. I'm not saying that I think Delon is innocent. I do think it's perfectly possible for an innocent person to be accused of things like this and to commit suicide even though they are innocent. Yes, that um, could be also you know, it, it, you, you, We don't know how this guy's head was working. We don't know. Perhaps he suffered depression and this is what pushed him over the edge. Uh, there are lots and lots of reasons, um, and it, it's probably you know. And also, it has to also be pointed out that a lot of the other people that Bortzako has accused of just as serious, if not more serious, stuff in the last couple of days haven't committed suicide. And yes. that's not to say they're all innocent either. You know, they're, they're probably as guilty as Delon was. Perhaps Bortzako has much more money than Delon, and, and he can can afford uh, any any money he can he uh, that. He must pay to 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 free from jail. So well, more likely, Mossack has probably done a deal with. It, it, my understanding of American criminal law is basically based on a very few episodes of Law and Order and five series of The Wire that I've seen. Um, so that is to say, not very much. But I suspect that what's happened here is that he's done a deal with prosecutors um, to uh, yes yeah, to to give information in in return of in return for a reduced sentence, precisely. Um, So yeah, I mean, which is to say that again, what he's saying is probably trustworthy, uh, at least to a certain extent, yes. because it's not well, as if, if he's he entirely honest in, if, in his own life. If he lies, that I think that that the uh, reduce of of the uh, well charges or well the uh, whatever you you can say it mm. um, wouldn't be that that uh, wouldn't, wouldn't happen because if he lies and uh, I know if he you testify and you lie it's but more, even more complicated than that in the beginning indeed if if you're listening to this and you are familiar with the American criminal justice system and have an idea um, on what this might be please tweet in or please email me um, and uh, you know give me an idea of where we might have gone wrong with what we've just said and of what we might have got right and a bit yes. more detail with what we've just said that w- and, w- and I'll read it out next week on Hand Pod. the reason yeah. I'm saying this is that I happen to know that at least one of our regular listeners is familiar with the New York criminal justice system L- lawyers or um, attorneys from, from the United States will be ideal indeed uh, you could you could do so in complete anonymity if you would like to Um, but yeah, please, you know, if you can add anything to this, then, then please do get in touch. Uh, it's obviously very sad that Jorge Delon has committed yes. suicide, even if he was guilty. And you know, the fact is, he's left a young family behind, um, and it's a tragedy. Same as Grondona's. The problem is that he's not uh, alive to to prove yes what what mm. is said about him, uh, because uh, apart from all this thing from the, of Delon and, and Paladino, Ursaco also said that. Uh, Grandona, which was, uh, we we thought about that. We thought that this that that, that, that this happened. That Grandona received uh, 15 million dollars in, in concept of, of bribes. Yes, indeed. He also said that uh, Torneos Globo and Televisa um, all paid this money. So he's not only admitting that his own company did this, but he's also accusing the biggest broadcasters in Mexico and in. Uh, I almost said Russia then in Brazil I'm getting my World Cup host nations mixed up it's very easy to do um, of of doing this as well 
Um, and I think he's continuing. To, I think there's one more day of testimony left. It might have been just today and yesterday. Um, but I think he testifies tomorrow as well. I might be wrong. Oh, so he's got the cross-examination yes. tomorrow. Sorry, he's got the cross-examination on Thursday by the defendant's um, lawyers. It, it's a shame that this trial isn't being live televised, really, because I'd find that quite entertaining to watch. But anyway... Um, we're going to uh, no doubt be coming back to this as the story goes on. Um, then, uh, well, it has nothing to do with Argentine football, but Blatter was accused of sexual abuse these days. Really? Yes. I, that. I don't remember who was the one, but you know about this Harvey Weinstein gate. Uh, now are, are a lot of accusations. Yeah, I'm uh, familiar with the um, the name. Um, wow. Yeah. Yes. Again. Not something that surprises me particularly, but interesting that it's coming out. Um, we will move on to some listeners' questions, uh, which I've just realised I've got in my other window, um, which are here. Alex Hartnett is our first question of the week. Hello, Alex. He says, hey, Hop, been listening for about a year but my first time tweeting in. I'm an American who follows Dortmund and Boca as well as my own pathetic national team. Just want to say you guys do a great job. Thank you very much, Alex. And then he follows up. Now a question. I saw Boca recently played a friendly versus Aris Thessaloniki of Greece. I think we mentioned that a week or two ago, didn't we, when it happened? Yes, that they, yes but only the he- header from Olay. And, and yeah. we, we were unaware it was being played until after it, would, after, after it had happened. Um, he says, I remember another friendly between the two a few years back. It seems to be a big celebration for the Aris supporters. Any idea where this relationship comes from? The answer to that is no, I'm afraid, Alex. If I'd seen your question earlier, I would have... Um, put it out to the email group that we have or the WhatsApp group that we have for Hand of Pod and asked a couple of our Boca uh, supporting friends. Just wondering whether that's what Andres is doing on his phone as I'm speaking. Um, we might have an answer for you if it is in, in a few minutes' time. But yes. basically, no. I'm not sure where it comes from. I was, as, as we say, we were completely unaware of it. I think it was you, me and Dan, wasn't it? Was it last week? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, who, who discovered this while we were recording that it, that it had happened and it seemed utterly bizarre. But there we go. Um... We will come back to this, as I say, if Andres finds a, a, an answer in a minute or two. It's in uh, January 2010, I think, they played. Because uh-huh. here is Boca against Aris Salonika, Boca winning 1-0. Well. But uh, in Greece, uh, but I don't know what, where they did. Jan- so January would have been, Boca would have been on a, a summer tour or something. Yes. Um, presumably, that's the origin then. Yes, could be. Presumably, Boca went on a... Summer tour played the match and they got on really well, but how strange. Twenty oh nine. This article's from two years ago, so maybe this will. It, it clearly yes. stayed with them at yes. any rate. Um, but I don't, yes, we we should uh, read more about this because apparently there is something between those things. But we will get back to you on that one, Alex. Uh, sorry for not being able to answer it right here and now. Nashville says, I always love a bit of river speculation. Who might or should they incorporate over the summer? I did see a whisper on Twitter, just a whisper, a few hours ago, um, in the form of a Twitter poll. So this is highly sourced information that's coming to you. Alessandro... Andres Alessandro. Yes. There we go. Bloody hell. I'm honestly not going to see that. Might be on his way back. Could be he, Inter he, have secured their passage back up to the Brazilian top flight. Yes, with Alessandro sitting in in the stands when they did so. I think he was injured rather than 
having fallen out with the team. Um, he was interviewed by Radio Continental here from Argentina this mm-hmm. af- this evening or afternoon, uh, and he said that the only well, this is something that a lot of players say that the only thing in Argentina that he will be able to play will be River, but he still hasn't talked about the that to anyone. He plays with a lot of players of River because his friends, his friend of them, uh, but nothing else. That he also said that he uh, he's well at Brazil, but. He doesn't uh, forget his origins, and it's possibly it's possible not uh, even 50% percent uh, right now of possibilities because uh, uh, well he he's has recently uh, Inter has recently uh, been promoted and it's the other day yeah uh, so it's too early also, to also he's 36. And, yes, that's something. River have got Gonzalo Martinez. Admittedly, you know, possibly River might not have Gonzalo Martinez by the end of January, yes. but you know, at the moment they've got him. Uh, they've got Nacho Fernandez. Yes. I wouldn't say that it would be a priority. Players that we'd like to see join River in January. Both of us are River sympathizers. In case you're a new listener, um, I had somebody in mind, and I've just forgotten. They need, they need a centre forward. Yes, at least one. But not in January, but. Uh, it was said that perhaps in June, perhaps mm-hmm. not, uh, also not certain, that Barovero could also uh, the, the the his agent said that in January is impossible, but in June, if River needs him, he will talk about it. About it. So he didn't say. In other words, if River can get through the Libertadores yes. group stage, yes, then uh, as that's a message that means that uh, not uh, that looks Batasha um, and, and Bologna, well. They aren't uh, uh, doing things well. Bologna hasn't even uh, uh, played, but uh, uh, between Batasha and Lux, well, uh, River is not uh, well covered in, in the goal. Um, no. And yes, perhaps uh, another another go- another striker because well, Santo Borre, I think he didn't show still his uh, player for River, or at least to to take him more slowly. Uh, well, he he's, he's on a twelve-month loan, right? So he goes back at the end of the season, I think, to Atletico. Uh, or this, this is what I seem to remember from when from when he signed. Um, and, I mean, just as well, in my opinion, for River. Uh, he scored the third goal against Moron. So, you know, yes. it's not that he hasn't scored at all. Well, he celebrated the goal against the, the Moron, yeah. the Moron uh, crowd. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's not the standard that River need for what they're yes. going to be taking on next year. Um, so it's Coco and well, La Ronda will apparently be injured all the time. Oh, who cares? La Ronda is awful anyway. Uh, and Lewski is he has one more one decent match and the other one is not good. Yeah. And he's not a, a striker, natural striker. He plays more as a like Pavon, for example, in the same position. Yeah. Similar. So uh, yes, yeah. uh, he, they will need a goalkeeper and a striker. One crucial piece of rebound news which has happened since we last recorded is that Marcelo Gachardo has confirmed that he is staying on at Rebound yes. next year, surprisingly, in my opinion. Um, but he has said that it's got nothing to do with the elimination from the Libertadores, it's got nothing to do with uh, the fact that they've reached the final for the Copa Argentina. In fact, I think he might have said it before. No, he said it on Monday, didn't he? Um, but uh, yeah, he, he doesn't feel that his job is yet done at River. So, yes. more Gachardo. Just, 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 uh, the opposite. really enjoying the challenge of having to reinvent yes. the team every six months. Just the opposite to Bielsa when he resigned uh, from national team, he said that he still has energy. Mm. 
Indeed. Precisely. Um, anyway, on. sorry, he Go was on. respectful to say that he didn't say that he will stay. He will. He's, he said that he uh, gives his his uh, stay at River to the candidates because they are runners for the presidents of River. Mm. Because uh, oh, that's right. Yes, sorry. He, yes, that's right. Uh, which means that he will stay because I don't. I don't. He's, he's gonna. He is happy to stay. He's not going to move abroad as long as whoever happens to be the River president come the end of Dece- yes. December is happy to keep him on. Yes. Yes, because you're quite right. Yeah, R- River's presidential election uh, the third of December, is coming yes. up when I suspect Rodolfo Donofrio is going to be yes. re-elected. Yeah, the other candidates are, are Caselli, Antonio Caselli, who has a very good card, we will say, or a very good uh, uh, character in his project, which David Trezeguet, he... Mm. In case Antonio Caselli uh, uh, is elected president, uh, Treset will be the manager or the well, not the manager, the, the sporting the director. Sporting director, figure, yes. yeah. Uh, the the, po- the position that hold, actually holds uh, Francesco Lee. Hmm. That's a good name, but uh, after that, uh, apart from that, I think that Donofrio, uh, yes, will get the re-election. Yeah. Um, moving on to a different club, the Wide Playmaker tweets us to say, "I'm currently managing Racing Club on Football Manager 18, and really enjoying scouting for talent. But who do you think has the potential to be a star in one of the big leagues in Europe?" Well, we someone, someone I mentioned, months. and I am a River fan, but I think Pavon will be. Yeah, I, I would have laughed at that a few months ago. But no, um, yes. more recently, he's he's been showing some. As I say, I think he's. I, I continue to think the the whole plays as if he's got a bucket on his head thing. As much as anything is because he's kind of one trick. It, it's get to the byline for the crossing. Um, he's not dissimilar in that respect, I guess, to a, a slightly younger Antonio Valencia before he started playing at right back for Man United. Um, but he does it well. And he, I think he learned something. I don't know whether. Guillermo, his uh, the coach at Boca or whoever told him, but he's more a team player because sometimes some months ago, like you said, because you have you might have laughed if someone told you that he will play in Europe, he was more to go straight to the to the to the long distance shot perhaps, mm. and now he's more a team player, passing more the ball and well uh, assisting perhaps the strikers, the other the the striker who's in the box and. Definitely. Uh, yes, I think he, and we, I could think another players, but at River, I think Marcelo Saraki. It, it's a great shame for Argentina that he is Uruguayan. Yes. Um, maybe they could nationalize him. Yes. Yes, could be. Right. He's only eighteen or nineteen, maybe now. I'm not sure what his birthday is exactly, um, but he's a really decent left back. Um, and yeah, Pete, elsewhere, Martinez, Pity Martinez, you said. Thank you, yeah, Gonzalo Martinez at River as well. Um, for Racing, you've got uh, Lautaro Martinez. Not No relation. Martinez is just a very, very common surname here. Um, Bustos from Independiente. Yeah, Bustos from Independiente, but as Racing boss, he'll probably have difficulty signing him, I'm guessing. Yes. If Football Manager have uh, you know, worked in local rivalries to uh, the transfer system, that is, you should have difficulty signing Fabricio Bustos as Racing Manager from Independiente. Um and various others. I have ideas in my head and the names have just gone, annoyingly. Jose Gomez from Lanús. The, the, the ones mm. we, we mentioned for, for the national team from Lanús, for example, I think that they could easily go there. Yeah, indeed. So I think Marcone is already sort of 25-ish. 
Yes. Um, so he, he maybe isn't going to be a, a massive star, but he can certainly do a job there. Jose Luis Gomez has got to be, what, 23? Soldano was linked. Soldano, the Union striker. Oh, Soldano's good, yeah. He's uh, having a good season. Was linked with River and also to some Italian, Greek and Spanish teams. Also, if you're on Football Manager, Vélez Sarsfield and Union are pretty good teams to look at because they both, I think I said this last week after they just played each other, uh, they both have very, very young squads and decent youth systems. In real life, I don't think necessarily that they're going to be producing lots of European stars, but because uh, Vélez particularly have a bit of a habit of of producing really good young players who are only actually really good at Vélez and then go on to other clubs and don't do as well. Um, in Football Manager, you might find it difficult to sign from them as another Argentine club, um, but they have decent youth systems and their players normally turn out to be pretty good. So that's some completely unreal-life football-related advice, but if you're on Football Manager, have a look at particularly Vélez, maybe less Union. In real life, I think Union have a decent young squad. Some yes. of those players can go on to great things, whether that's going to be mirrored in he, Football he Manager. He said young, young stars because Pablo Pérez has already been in Europe and they left at this. Well, he mentions the potential to be a ah. star, so I'm going to assume that uh, we're talking about players who are younger than Pablo Pérez, or, yes. I mean, Enzo Pérez as well, but he's yes. already gone there and been there and seen that and done it and uh, come home. Yes. Peter Paleologos has tweeted us in a question that he's going to give me a bit more detail for for next week or the week after, so I won't read it out just yet. And Liam, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, I agree with the point on Reber in the last pod. A week shouldn't take a week shouldn't take away three and a half years of greatness under Gacharado. It's consolation getting to the Copa Argentina final. Any possible venues? Also surprise leaders in the B eight rounds in. I forgot Riestra got docked 20 points. I'm going to have to have a look at the B Nacional table now. But Andres, have you heard any news about... Um, a Copa Argentina potential venues and we don't have a date for it yet we San also Juan I think uh, or Mendoza could be Cusho could be the, the, the venue uh, any any of the Cusho provinces that is Mendoza Mendoza or San, San Juan, Juan yes. and the 6, 9 or 10 of December I think aha uh-huh. and I'm now just looking at who are the in the B Nacional standing blimey Visha Dalmine and Agropecuario first and second after seven games both with a yeah. game in hand over third place Juventud Unida. What's going on down there? Atletico de Rafael in fifth, Aldo Sevilla in seventh, Nueva Chicago at tenth. These are the teams who went down last season. Sarmiento at twentieth. And Riestra, as Liam says, having been docked quite a lot of points, um, have two wins, four draws, and two defeats, and minus ten points still. Um, yes. So Riestra probably are not going to be um, coming up. But Wow, I would love to anyway, see there Visha Dalmine in the yes. Primera. Anyway, there are only seven, point, seven matches played and there are 25 match, uh, teams. So, Are uh, they playing each other home and away as well? Yes. I do hope they are. If that's a proper... Yeah. Oh, no, no, they're only playing each other once. Seven of 25, it says here. Match plays seven of 25. Uh, so they're playing everybody at once with a classical round as well, unlike the Superliga. Which means that seven games is... Well, eight games is a third of the season, effectively. Eight times three is 24. So, it's a significant chunk of the season gone. But it is much, much, much closer, it has to be said, than the Superliga is. Dalmine are on 16 points. Agropecuario are on 15, both from seven games. Juventud Unida have 14 points from eight games. Guillermo Brown 
have 13 from 7. Atletico de Rafaela have 12 from 8. Brown de Adrogué, who are not the same team as Guillermo Brown, it's very confusing, I know, um, have 12 from 7. Aldo Sibi have 12 from 8. Quilmes have 12 from 8. Almagro have 11 from 8. Nueva Chicago have 11 from 8. And San Martín de Tucumán have 11 from 8. So there are five points separating first from 11th in the B Nacional, which when you consider that there is seven points separating first from second in the Superliga, maybe we should be watching the B Nacional. Yes. It's free as well. We don't have to pay anything extra on our cable. Maybe I should cancel the 300 pesos a month and we should just make this a podcast about the second division for the rest of the season. Because it's not the, like any fuckers are paying me money to write about the What happens the, the, anyway. the first division is strange because uh, it's not very common, or at least in the last uh, times, to have a, a team that wins uh, well all of the matches, all of the eight matches, hmm. first eight matches, and... and uh, have so so uh, much difference between him and them and and the, and the second ones. Uh, so uh, yes, National B apparently is more competitive. Indeed, absolutely. We should be paying more attention to it. We shall endeavour to do so. That's a lie. I won't be doing, but um, because it it's always at the same time as the Primera. Uh, but yeah, maybe we should be. I'm, I'm starting to question my judgment. Thank you very much for bringing that to our attention Liam because I genuinely wouldn't have had a clue if you hadn't said anything Um, and now I'm going to play some mystical theme music and this week's guest mystical predictor is Yusuf so you're going to hear my predictions against Mystic Yusuf's don't go away Here we go. Yusuf has emailed emailed in his predictions um, for the weekend to come, and they are as follows, along with my own. Argentinos Juniors versus Colón de Santa Fe. Yusuf's going for a Colón win. I'm going to go for a draw in that. Atletico Tucumán versus Arsenal. We're both going for home victories in that one, because, well, it's Arsenal. Don't really need to say much more, do we? Newell's Old Boys versus Belgrano. Yusef goes for a Newell's win. I'm going to go for a draw. Uh, Banfield versus Temperley. Yusef says Banfield win, and yeah, I agree with him. They've started the season well. Temperley have not. Defensa Justicia versus Lanús. Yusef's going for a Lanús victory. I don't. I'm going to go for a draw there as well. I'm being really boring. I'm yeah, they they have draws, uh, the Copa Libertadores first leg, uh, the, the final. I think the other. Week, so oh really? Ah oh, right, and I guess I'm definitely going for a draw. Yes. Uh, San Martin versus San Lorenzo, the Clásico de los Santos, uh, is according to Yusef going to be a San Lorenzo win, and yeah, I, I would agree with him there. In fact, it's also not a classical, so don't, no, that was just a joke about the names. Independiente versus River, we disagree on this one. Yusef says Independiente victory, and I think it's going to be a River victory. They've got to get back up and running in the league at some point. Union versus Chacarita Juniors. We're both going for Union wins. They're second in the table, remember. Tigre versus Estudiantes. Uh, Yusuf says Estudiantes win, and I think that it's quite hard to argue with that considering how rubbish Tigre are. Boca versus Racing. Yusuf says Boca win. 
I'm really tempted to go for a draw, but I have to say a Boca win as well, because Racing just haven't been playing well enough this season to merit anything else. Tacheres versus Rosario Central. Yusuf says Rosario Central victory. I'm going for a Tacheres victory. Gimnasia versus Patronato. Um, we're both going for Gimnasia victories. Olimpo against Godoy Cruz on Monday. Uh, Yusuf says Olimpo win. I'm going to go for a I'm going to go for a Godoy Cruz win. And Huracan against Vélez. Uh, Yusuf says it's going to be a Vélez win. I say it's going to be an Huracan win. Any attractive matches this weekend, Andres, from that list? Well, We've got two Clásicos, Boca against Racing and Independiente against River. I think that, that, that both are, are the, the, more, the most attractive matches of the, of yeah. the round. It, it's really boring to say it. And yes, we try not to say this, but just big five praise all the time as, as I hope that you've uh, who, who plays San Lorenzo with sorry San Lorenzo playing San Martin de San Juan in San Juan yes. that could go either way that could either be deathly dull or it could be quite entertaining in fact uh, uh, there are a few games there but I think yes. yeah it, it's the two all big five clashes boring as it is to predict this that clearly look like the most attractive matches this weekend I think Argentinos against Colón could be decent as well on Friday evening although I'm quite likely to be in the pub while it's on so I'm probably not going to watch it um, and defensive against Lanús depending on how seriously you know if, if Lanús' yes. subs decide to give it a go and decide this is their chance to press for a first team place next year because um, defensive like to attack like to get the ball down and play properly um, so that could be a game that's worth watching from the order of the matches I'm guessing that's going to be on Saturday afternoon um, and yeah so we've got a few more I, I remember reading out the fixtures two weeks ago and thinking God, there's nothing apart from the Super Classical that's attractive this week at all. Um, this weekend, we've got a bit more to get our teeth stuck into. Actually, Union against Chacarita could also be good, given how yes. ordered Union have been in the kind of good form that they're in and that Chacarita have been iffy at times, inconsistent, but capable of playing some Yeah, so form. Union against Belis played very well, so that yeah. could be part of the attractive of the, of the match. Precisely. Um, we will be back next week to discuss all of this if I can get emotional for a second thank you very much to the, the few of you the handful of you who have actually been listening for the whole seven years uh, there must be one or two of you who've listened to every episode and I thank you very much for that um, thank you to those of you who joined us along the way thank you to everybody who has ever said nice things about us on social media sent your friends links to us to listen or anything like this uh, thank you to my best friend in the whole wide world Nick Ball for doing our very excellent theme music um, which has been serving us gratefully and I know he listens these days um, so cheers Nick and to everybody who's been involved whether it's Andres who's sitting here with me right now or whether you've been on Hand of Pod at some point in the past and are now listening um, it's been an emotional seven years I frankly doubt that we're going to last another seven years I kind of hope we're not because that will prove that I really don't have anything better to do and it will be quite depressing um, but for the moment we're enjoying doing it and I hope that you're enjoying listening as well so it's thank you and good night from Andres thank you, good night and from me, thanks and good night. Mm-hmm.